right, left, right, left, marching, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, marching. When I wanna give it, feel like quitting. Something keeps living inside me, keeps yelling. Tell me, push on, push harder past the limit. It's no time for the giving and stick to it when I'm giving them. It's my all, and so they march for the sergeant. Ready to give it all up for the cause and just charge it. When I tell them to let it loose with the weapon, you blasting it down the mannequin, backing off what they never do. Never give up, not without a fight. Just to save a life, they would die, give their life. March, 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 march. Good morning, Warriors! A little call back to my old podcast, Veteran Empire, where I gave that strong good morning. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you do know what I'm talking about, you've been a true fan, you've been following me for a while, and I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Hi, Shannon. So, this is a brand new episode of Fuel for Warriors. We have a Army veteran, Christina Rivera, on the show today. Christina came uh, by suggestion and recommendation of William McNulty. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the veteran space, we all take care of each other. When I asked William if he had anybody in mind that he thought would really fit the program and, and what we're trying to get through here, Christina was the first person he brought up. So very thankful for that recommendation, for that connection. Christina was very excited to be a part of the program, and I'm excited to talk to her, to excited to share my conversation uh, with her with you today. So Without further ado, I'll let Carl Churchill say a couple of words, and then we'll roll right into my conversation with Christina. Hey, Warriors, this is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Load Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you're going to enjoy this interview with Christina Rivera. She's an Army veteran and the executive director at the Honor Foundation. They're doing great work helping transition special operations veterans to the private sector. I know you'll love our guest today, and when you're finished with the episode, head over to LockAndLoadJava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, I am back for another wonderful interview. This week brings me Army veteran Christina Rivera. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, I briefly gave an introduction on you and the Honor Foundation before the interview, but let's let's get into one of my favorite things to ask any military veteran, and that is that decision that you made to join the United States military. There's only a certain type of person uh, that decides to join, but we all have our own unique story. What's yours? Well, my story is um, pretty common, I think, for um girls that grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um, I grew up in a pretty uh, marginalized school district. And by the time I barely graduated high school, I realized that um, my options were really limited. Um, but I knew I, I wanted more. And, you know, at the risk of sounding pretentious, I knew I was meant for more. So um, I, I didn't know what that looked like for me. So I joined the military. Um, and that's when I feel like I was reparented um, in boot camp and through my advanced initial training. And I realized that I was capable of so much more. Um, so it kind of like restarted uh, 
um, my life. So I, I ended up going to college using my GI Bill and everything that has ever happened in my life that has been remarkable and worth writing home about happened because I served my country. So it's the best decision I ever made for myself. That's that. Uh, it's it's so it's so great to hear uh, you say that. I want to touch on a little bit about your use of the GI Bill. What was your approach to education coming out of, of the military? Did you know where you wanted to go and for what, or was that uh, a journey in its own? Uh, that was a journey of its own. Um, I knew I was really good at reading, and um, uh, I, I, growing up, I, you know, one of the my favorite pastimes was just, um, you know, kind of burying myself into a book and ignoring the world around me. Um, so by the time I was in college, I realized that I wanted to major in English um, and, uh, you know, tell stories and. Uh, analyze stories and just really get into like these dimensions of of um, reality. And I ended up majoring in English, which was at the time, you know, the only thing I thought I was capable of. But hindsight being what it is, um, I do not recommend people go and pursue a degree in English literature. I mean, seriously, do better. But it's also helped me along the way because I've been able to use my communication skills and my, um, uh, you know, storytelling skills to stay in this um the work that I'm in and tell the truth about what's really going on with transitioning veterans. So it's made me a very um, honest person capable of telling a true story. Did you did you go on to get your master's at Northeastern soon after your graduation from Northern Illinois or did it take or did you have to go a couple of years to realize that uh, you're going to need to pursue uh, a further degree? It took me 10 years to go back. Oh, wow. And I prolonged, yeah, I, I prolonged it a long time. Um, I graduated uh, from Northern Illinois with my bachelor's in 2004, and it wasn't until 2014 that I graduated um, with my master's. Oh, no, so, um, yeah, it took me about 10 years. So I know a lot of people that make that decision then, like, okay, I think it's time for me to go back and get another degree. Um, you know, have you have you seen the benefits from that? Like, has your has, did your personal professional life improve specifically um, from getting that degree? It definitely. So the the decision to go back for a master's was one that was more rooted in professional development. I wanted to be a lot more articulate and more um, uh, legitimate in the work that I was in. So I went and got a master's in corporate communication. Um, but it was a decision that was a lot more deliberate than the one I made when I was, you know, a 19 year old undergrad. So it's um, it was definitely for um, resume building and just more for professional purposes. And when I got my uh, bachelor's at 19 years old it's because i thought i was gonna write a you know a bestseller which didn't happen so <laughs> have you written any books no not at all i've contributed um yeah in to a few but i haven't i haven't told my own story when will you uh, you know, that's the funny thing about turning 34 last year. It kind of put me in an existential crisis, which I think can only be resolved by telling my story. So I think to answer your question soon this year, it has to happen this year. Uh, don't, don't, uh, you can't, don't look at your thirties like that. Cause I'm, I'm about to enter my thirties and I want to make, I don't want to feel, I, uh, I, I have high hopes for my thirties and I want to make it, I don't want to seem, feel like I'm getting older and entering any sort of crisis. <laughs> uh, you know, they're awesome. They make you a much more, uh, you know, the quarter, the quarter century crisis is over and now you're going into this whole, like, you know, Hey, I did okay phase. So, you know, it's a lot more self-actualized. Yeah, the hard part's over. I just get, yeah. I just have to maintain. 
insane. Um, right. So, you know, in the intro, I meant I mentioned you're, you know, you're, the, um, you're part of the Honor Foundation. And, uh, you know, I just mentioned, you know, on the about page, it says, you know, the Honor Foundation bridges the special operations community with private sector careers. I mean, it's it's easy to wrap, wrap our heads around. But, you know, being a part of the organization, you can probably better explain what exactly that means. Yeah, so that is an oversimplified explanation of what we do. Um, we work primarily, well, we work exclusively with special operators um, that are transitioning from their service. They're usually within 12 to 18 months from transition. Our program is three months long, and the first month of our program is dedicated to self-awareness, self-inventory, um, really um, getting our guys to re-engage with who they were before they joined special operations. So we kind of walk them back through time so they can re-identify with who they were. And this is done through a series of very practical exercises that gets us, uh, you know, discussing our um our personalities, our memories, and it reacquaints us with who we are. So it's a really exciting classroom culture, and I like to describe it as the great equalizer because we have, uh, you know, very senior officers in the classroom and very mid-career enlisted people in the classroom. So we're all going through the same vulnerabilities, the same insecurities, the same uh, anxieties about transition, and we're going through them together. So the second month is dedicated to the tools, so resume writing, understanding corporate culture, executive business writing, um, really getting what we need to um, start creating our own opportunities. And month three is the executive leadership series. That's when we bring in the industry leaders to come in and talk about, for example, project management. Um, so it's a we try to make it as holistic as possible. Um, you know, the nature of special operations is that they're already remarkable, uh, intelligent, capable men. But what they really need is, you know, I call it a finishing school, and we provide that. So um, I am always excited to go to work because I get to, uh, you know, do something that no other organization is doing um, for an, a really amazing group of warfighters. So, you know, so this is specific. This is um, you specifically target uh, special operators. But so why is there a need to have an organization that specifically targets uh, that demographic? Um, I think it's because of their unique skill set, the um, training that they've had. Um, they are the top 1% of the military, so they need something that's a little more challenging, both intellectually and emotionally. We don't want to PowerPoint the um, this elite group of, of warfighters and consider them transition. Like, okay, here's your suit and a PowerPoint and go get a job. Right. Um, they really need something that will um, make them a lot more articulate, give them a corporate lexicon, give them the ability to discuss who they are and what they're capable of, respectful of the community that they come from. So we all know that they can't always talk about what they do, um, but we can teach them how to um, talk about what they're capable of. And that's something that requires a much more intense program. And that's why we're here. So how long have you been with Honor Foundation then? I've been with Honor Foundation for eight months. So let's go, let's go pre-master's degree then. What were you doing mm -hmm. uh, when, you weren't, when you weren't deployed? What were you doing between you know, the army and getting your master's? Okay, so um, actually, I'm, you know, here's the thing. So I was 
a recruiting and retention NCO for the Army National Guard. As soon as I got back from my deployment, um, I accepted an active guard reserve position in recruiting command for the National Guard. So I did that for three years. Okay. And um, this was during the surge. So I felt really responsible for the men and women I put in boots. When I uh, left the military, when I ETS, having that sense of responsibility to them, I went to work for Sears Holdings and I oversaw a military employment program for the fourth largest employer in the country. So it was awesome because I was this one woman show and I was able to um, provide opportunities for the men and women I put in boots. Um, And then I started to realize that those opportunities were limited, partly because there was um, a deficiency in education um, from transitioning military. So I went to work for the Pat Tillman Foundation and we were dedicated to providing um, education scholarships for transitioning veterans and military spouses. Um, So, you know, I I did that for over a year and then um, this remarkable opportunity with the Donor Foundation came up. And it um, allowed me to take everything that I I know, and it's really not that much, and kind of marry these these two things that I love, which is, you know, corporate America and veterans, and dedicate uh, this to special operators. So it really is the perfect marriage of the things that I think I'm good at. So with someone, you've, so clearly you have a lot of insight and experience into getting transitioning veterans into good jobs and ones that they were not just qualified for, but ones that they'll actually enjoy. From your side of the table, then, where is the where are we falling short on how, getting veterans prepared for the workforce? Because clearly, veteran unemployment is uh, has been a concern uh, for at least the past five to seven uh, years as vets are co- getting out of the military, they're coming back from their deployments, etc. Other than you know, other, other than like the military itself not preparing veterans, what is happening with the veterans specifically that's not allowing them to get the employment that they that they need? Well, I think that they're not sure where they fit in. Um, And that's not just about doing an MOS conversion because um, I was in supply and uh, that obviously doesn't mean I'm going to be the executive director of a nonprofit. (laughs) So I think it's getting um, transitioning veterans to do assessments so that they know what they're good at. They know what industries their skill set is a match for. Um, It's not really about converting a resume into civilian speak. It's about um, converting a resume to tailor it to the industry that the veteran will be successful in. Oh my um, gosh, it's so awesome to hear you say that. Okay, is that cool? Yes. So I know- And that really comes with assessment. So I think transitioning veterans should invest in, um, you know, assessment tools like the strengths finder and the emotional inventory quotient, which we have our guys complete at the beginning of the course. That way they know what industries they're a match for and they can start exploring those possibilities. So, you know, sometimes um, we don't know what we don't know. And it's so awesome to help these guys realize that they're a very natural match for Silicon Valley or for Wall Street. You know, sometimes they think that, oh, they're just going to go into defense contracting, but they're actually really talented problem solvers that a startup like Airbnb or uh, Facebook and Palantir wants to hire. So I think it's all about understanding what you're good at and being able to speak intelligently about it. If in the heart of my Marine Corps career, you would have told me that I somehow qualified to be in broadcasting and media, I would have thought you were crazy because there was nothing about my profession that said that I was qualified for that, but uh, but I was never I never truly reflected on my personal qualities that would help me have made that connection more earlier on. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, my other podcast that I do focuses on veteran suicide. So I talked a lot to veterans that experience suicidal behavior. And one of the overarching themes is, is finding the, the sense of purpose is gone. And a lot of that comes from they're given jobs that they know they're qualified for, but not ones that they're necessarily going to enjoy. And I think that poking into that emotional intelligence and making them having their personal aspirations directly connect with their professional potential, I think is extremely important. You're absolutely right. And that's what we we want to do and what we are accomplishing at the Honor Foundation. I think the worst thing than unemploying a veteran is underemploying a veteran. So those are the things that we seek to resolve. Wonderful. So, I mean, so tell me challenges that the Honor Foundation faces in in making this happen. Like what are, I don't know, hiccups or challenges? What are um, some routine barriers that you find that you're constantly knocking down, whether it's within the, your organization or when it comes in, when you're receiving uh, these operators? So... Realizing that we're a very lean but mighty staff, we're a staff of three running this operation, and knowing that guys on the East Coast don't have the same access to a classroom like the guys on the West Coast do, um, that's a huge challenge that keeps us up at night. So we're under a lot of um, you know personal pressure to get our classroom and get access to our curriculum to transitioning uh, operators on the East Coast. Um, with that, the 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 burden that we seek to overcome is funding. Like somebody's got to pay for this. Somebody got to pay for the faculty, the materials, um, all those things um, are, you know, standing in our way, but we're pretty, uh, we're visionaries. I think that's the coolest part about finding myself in social entrepreneurship is that we overcome these things. So we will be in the East Coast. Um, we also want to access guys that are um, unable to come to the classroom. So creating a remote option, you know, through a virtual classroom is another obstacle that we face. Um, the last thing we want to do is create more inequities by only making our courses and our and our um, resources available to a certain amount of people. Um, we want to make sure that we force multiply and reach as many transitioning operators as possible. So those are those are some of our obstacles. Absolutely. So you know, in your in the bio that's on the website, thehonorfoundation.org, uh, it says that Christina is a long range thinker. Uh, I mean, so what does that mean? Like, how is that something that some is that a way that someone else described you or is that something that you resonate with? It's something that I resonate with because I consider myself somebody that is rarely satisfied with um, a job well done. So we may we may be successful today, but I'm always thinking about how we're going to take awesome to awesomer. So um, I always think a much more long term than than the present. Um, we actually had a discussion today about an upcoming um, speaking event that we'll be hosting um, here in, in San Diego. And uh, um, it's definitely for for this team. It's about taking good to awesome it's we're, we're rarely satisfied with these things and i think that's what makes our program so um so remarkable is that we we're a little bit like the special operation forces community in that we're tireless perfectionists and we're really hard on ourselves so it just kind of provokes us to deliver a, a more quality product every single time yeah absolutely so you know, let's 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 get into your personal life a little bit because we you know you definitely uh, you know you fit the mold of warrior having served in in the army and uh, you know you work with so many veterans you know what are your own personal challenges that you you know coming into 2015 what are some challenges that you're addressing in your life. 
Um, that's a great question. So I relocated my life from uh, Chicago to San Diego. And with that, you know, comes um, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm kind of like the new girl, you know, the transfer student in high school all over again, and really understanding um, where uh, I fit in, in a completely new environment, a completely new setting. Like, you know, life in the Midwest is completely different than life in Southern California. And um, it's really just kind of finding a, you know, finding a new community without compromising who I am and those really boring Midwest values that makes us sensible people. Um, Those are the things that I struggle with is kind of like restarting a new life without compromising who I really am, which is this, um, you know, this Midwest girl with working class roots that doesn't want much more than to do something right with her life and do something good in the community. And not because I run off at a girls, but because, you know, we're only going to be on the planet for three minutes. We might as well do something good. <laughs> yes. I like that. Like, I mean, it's, it's so true. It's how I feel about it too. Like I only have so much time to do something, so I better make it worth it. Right. Another one of my favorite questions to ask veterans, and I think that I think um, anybody uh, can benefit from this answer. What are some disciplines, traits, values, skill sets that 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 the military instilled in you that you've been able to directly translate into what you're doing today? Um, I think the military gave me the ability to be a decisive decision maker or a decisive leader. When a choice has to be made, I'll make it and I'll take the, the consequences of, of a bad choice and I'll um, you know take full responsibility for those and I'll share in the successes of a right choice. So I, I think that you know behind every success story, there's usually a, a board of um, or a personal board of advisors that have guided me along the way. And um, I really think it's important to share in that um, if there is a success, there are people to share it with. If there's a failure, then I'm usually the one person to take accountability for it. Um, I learned that in the military. I realized um, some of the best leaders that I had the pleasure of working with were um, very selfless with with, um, success and very selfish with failure. And I think that's what made what, what made them inspiring and what, you know, continues to drive me as, as a, a young leader. Um, also, you know, risk management. I'm always thinking about what could go wrong. So, um, and I think that's a good skill to have is just to realize that you may have the most perfectly executed plan, but you have to constantly keep an eye on your blind spot and make sure that those external threats are identified and mitigated. I think the military also makes us... Um, and you have to be a communicator to be in the military um, because eventually you'll be provoked to lead whether you want to or not. So um, the best leaders are um, the people who communicate uh, clearly and deliberately. So um, and the other thing, this is the best part about being a veteran. The best part about wearing a combat patch is that I think you develop the most bizarre sense of humor. So no matter how bad it gets, no matter how sideways the situation gets, you can seriously find something to laugh at when everyone else is like losing their mind you're just sitting there going wow you know this is actually kind of funny and I think that's one of the things that um you know that I love about the military community is that we we do have like this bizarre sense of humor you know and I think I would hire somebody that can laugh through a crisis and still figure out a solution and somebody that's freaking out and turning in their letter of resignation absolutely I really I really like that point you made about being a uh, you know a selfless victor and you know being selfish in failure 
Um, I really, I really hope the you know the, I know the audience is gonna take take that home and apply it to their professional life because that's huge. Um, so one oh, last, thank you. Yeah, one last question before we find out what ultimately inspires you. Something. One of my criticisms in in processes of trying to develop uh, veterans at, for good employment uh, as a transition is we I feel I feel like we overemphasize the idea of being a leader and underemphasize their ability to be a follower. How, have you noticed anything of the same as you prepare these operators for a transition? I've noticed that they go into most situations realizing that they'll have their they'll have to work their way up to um, leader. That's what's really cool about operators is that they come into situations with this tremendous sense of humility um, and they earn their way up. But earning your way up is not negotiable. That's they, they're pretty committed to being successful, um, but they do come in realizing that they're starting at the bottom. You know, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the, the new guys always know that the, the more senior guys um, have, you know, the expertise and, and the wealth of information. So they learn from them and then eventually they become the experts and teach the incoming generation of new guys. So it's like this, this machine that keeps that's completely well oiled and well maintained and everybody knows their role and everybody works hard to get to that position of leadership very cool christina so now we have to know what what gets you up every morning what is your ultimate inspiration when when you're faced with a challenge you know what is getting you over all of these barriers and guards and what seems to be impossible uh problems to overcome well I'll be completely honest. I realize that it's very hard for me to deliver a quality education and a quality transition experience to operators if I'm infatuated with them. Having said that, I am absolutely infatuated with them. <laughs> I realize, and they'll tell you themselves, I'm very, very hard on them. Just when they think they nailed their mock interview, I'm the person saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? You're better than this. But, um, I know that they're working so hard to reconnect at home, reconnect with themselves, reconnect with the world off the teams. And I also know that they do this carrying a tremendous emotional burden, um, having fought for their country, being used as a surgical tool and having to deal with this with humility and dignity and without spiking the football, without looking for a discount in Applebee's. That's what gets me up in the morning is realizing that I work with some very humble, remarkable war fighters and their their worst day is something that I can can never even imagine. So yeah, I work in a nonprofit. I have a view of the ocean from my, you know, you know, humble little office. My uptown problems are nothing. So they make it very easy for me to love my job and love my life. That's wonderful. Christina Thank you so much uh, for joining me. If anybody's interested in the Honor Foundation or connecting with you, what's a way that they can do that? They can visit our website at www.thehonorfoundation.org and they can connect with me at Christina at thehonorfoundation.org. So um, we we love, um, you know, inquiries. We're always looking for volunteers and, um, you know, we're based here in La Jolla, California. Wonderful. Christina, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I suppose it's worth noting that uh, Christina Rivera is the first female to be on Lock and Low Java. So uh, congratulations to her. Uh, yeah, I, I usually don't uh, don't bother noticing little things like that, but I think it's uh, I think it's you know being a first of anything is is 
pretty cool. So um, I guess there's a, it, it's worth noting, I suppose. Christina, you know, had a lot of uh, cool things to say. Liked my, I really enjoyed my conversation with her. I hope that you did too. Blogtalkradio.com slash Fuel for Warriors is where you can check out all the episodes done that we've put out. If this is the first episode you've listened to, man, you've missed a, you missed a couple good ones so far. I've had conversations with Kyle Carpenter, with William McNulty at a Team Rubicon, Chad Downing, a lot of great veterans. We're moving on forward. I'm, I'm getting some athletes to come on here so we can start talking to them and get sort of a different idea of what it means to be a warrior. I think it'll be really cool to get uh, a different perspective on that. If you think that you, if you have someone you believe needs to be on this show, maybe it's you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's you just look up to someone and you want us to reach out to them, you can tweet at me. At Tim Lawson21, send me a tweet uh, and include their Twitter handle or you know direct message me and give me like an email. I'll reach out. I'll do what I can. I want to be able to bring conversations to you that you want to hear. So if there's someone that you want to hear from or if you think that you'd be a good fit, please contact me. At Lock and Load Java is where you can follow uh, Lock and Load Java and the rest of them. I'm Tim. On behalf of Carl, Lori, and the rest of us here at Lock and Load Java, I'll see you next week. Left, right. Left, right, left, right, left, marching, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, marching. When I wanna give it, feel like quitting. Something keeps living inside me, keeps yelling. Tell me, push on, push harder past the limit. It's no time for the giving and stick to it when I'm giving them. It's my all, and so they march for the sergeant. Ready to give it all up for the cars and just charge it. When I tell them to let it loose with the weapons, you blasting it down the mannequin, backing off what they never do. Never give up, not without a fight. Just to save a life, they would die, give their life. March, march, march.